We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Star Talk Radio show. I'm your host, Neil Bradley. My co-host is Joe Quinn. Hi there. And with us tonight, Juliana Barnburn. Hello. So, uh, I'm not sure how many of you all can see our new video feed. We're going to wait for camera. Well, I'm not sure there's anybody actually watching us right now, but... Um, Are we not up yet? Uh, I don't know. We have a very bad internet connection tonight, actually, so... Um, uh, we'll see how it goes, but uh, we experimented last week with uh, a live video account so people could see us as we dissect world news events. So we decided to try it again this week. At the moment, we're doing it via Google Hangouts. So you're listening to Blog Talk Radio, but you can also check us out on Google Hangouts. Where do people go to? they want to see that feed? Uh, they go to a very long URL um, on Google. Uh, if they want, I can uh, I can read it out here, but it'll take me half an hour. <laughs> so uh, It's not a unique URL. I mean, it's automatically generated one. So Yeah, so I'll just send it to the, uh, to the chat room and people can have a look there. Okay. But just remember, if you're in that, uh, on the Google Hangout, don't... Um, don't be, you know, turn your mic, not turn your mic off, but don't uh, try and uh, speak or don't try and just be quiet. <laughs> no, don't, uh, well, I'll mute everybody anyway, but just in case, because obviously if you're listening to the radio show on Blog Talk Radio and you're also listening and watching on uh, Google Hangout, then you're going to get feedback, you know, because they're two separate uh, streams of uh, audio and video. So, um, and um yeah, and we'll hear it here. So it gets all very complicated, and it's like this crazy feedback loop of audio and stuff, and nobody knows what's going on, and uh, it's terrible. Yeah, the, uh, the technology apparently, the technology is all there. We, you could have a service that combines it all, but we don't know of it yet. So if anyone does, yeah, send, send us your ideas and Technology tips. does exist. It's called Get Your Own, get uh, your own TV own. Broadcast <laughs> Studio Setup. And also... Um, you know, uh, a satellite connection, obviously, as well. So we need our own satellite connection, a dedicated satellite. Uh, and um, I mean, uh, before we even go, before we would even go that far, we would uh, we kind of want um, kind of want uh, to get our own radio station, which would mean a big giant antenna with megawatts. Of, uh, of power transmitting our signal around the world, you know, rather than just on the web, you know, that would be kind of cool. So people can people could pick it up on their radios, in their cars, you know, we could just go global. But uh, we need uh, a lot more donations than we've been receiving of late to finance that kind of a project. So um, we need to break China. Huh? Not break China. We need to break into China. Break into China, oh, yeah. But that would be so cool. Can you imagine, like, they would go desperate, like, if they get a signal, like, in Sweden again... You know, it's like, the Russians are coming. Oh, no, Saad is coming. We got a radio signal. 
Yeah. We got to do this next <laughs> Sunday. Those those commie Saudi people. Yeah. Oh, I we are kind of commies. Although yeah. no, I've been called I've been called a bit of everything from extreme right fascist all the way to ter- terrorist commie. <laughs> Depends on what I say, you know. Yeah. Well, so you know, I'm not sure the the. Um, on the Google Hangouts, I'm not sure if uh, if we're even visible right now. I think some people are saying we're not because, um, um, and that's I think that's to do with our um, our internet connection because we have a pretty bad internet connection today, um, so it may not actually be showing a video feed of of, of us here. Yet we are actually, you know, live. Uh, on Google Hangouts, but um, so see as people uh, come come on, we can hear we can hear them. We're not hearing that in Block Talk Radio, but this is uh, that's why we're just experimenting with this, and we're not sure if it's actually uh, a good idea or not. But anyway, uh, so let's just get into our show for this week uh, and stop putzing around. Okay, this uh, G twenty thing. Is still on. Finishes today, right? Mm-hmm. G20, Group of 20, the world's 20 most powerful countries, the leaders of which meet for two days in Brisbane, Australia, and I just want to say I hate them all. Mm-hmm. I spent the whole day just, not the whole day, but too much of today reading sound bites from this total non-event Leaves me going, mm-hmm. why is this news? What are they doing? Okay, so just before, uh, I seem to be, there seems to be a problem there, but we actually are online now uh, and on the Google Hangouts. People can see us. Or they should be able to see us. Hello. Um, hi, everybody. This is where we are. You see, we've got a, we've got a lovely, um, we've got a lovely, I'm just having to mute people as they come on, but I suppose people can't mute themselves automatically, but, um, um, some, as people come on, we're just hearing them. Of course, people in Block Talk Radio aren't hearing them. Anyway, Neil, carry on. If anybody wants to, uh, if anybody wants to check us out in Google Hangouts, just go to the link that I sent on the in the chat room on Block Talk Radio. You can see a link there. It starts with uh, Google.com. It's a kind of long, weird link. Just click on that, and you'll be able to see us uh, in our little studio here. So you'll be able to see us. And listen to us at the same time, which is amazing, in glorious Technicolor. Anyway, the G20, <laughs> yes, I hate all of the the G20, with the exception of maybe a few, three or four of them. Obviously, Russia, Brazil, China, and India, I would say, maybe get a pass. The rest of them, kick them to the curb. It's it's just... It's pathetic. Uh, but you, seriously, though, you are you have to actually... Scramble around a bit to find out what was at least discussed. I mean, we're talking about a talking head, a meeting. There's no nothing is actually done, of course, by the leaders when they get together for just 48 hours. Mm-hmm. But you still have to look for what was it they, you know, at least discussed or some kind of agreements they came to. If you compare it, I mean, just with the other event that happened in China, the APEC, Asia Pacific. Economic community something meeting just four or five days previous. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of uh, there was a lot of press coverage because there were a lot of different deals made 
during that summit, and there were a lot of different talking points. But this is just pure, in this case, it's pure Putin bashing. Yeah. I, was, I, why did he bother to turn up? I, I'm like... Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny because you had... Um, you have all these people gathering and the pomp and circumstance and them all being greeted and smiling and cheering uh, each other as they arrive at the airport. Uh, you know, obviously, with, with the exception of Putin, he got uh, frosty reception all around, which is really childish and silly. And these are supposedly our leaders, quote unquote, who are meant to be, you know, essentially most people in the world uh, look uh, up to these people um, as kind of like parent, parental figures or, or uh you know, father or mother figures, whatever, leaders essentially, and they expect them to take care of them or take responsibility for them. And uh, what was actually happening was that the ordinary people on the street in Brisbane, uh, they were all protesting about things that actually matter. You know, there were various different types of protests to coincide with the G20. Um, there was the First Peoples of Australia, for example, the Aborigines who were protesting about uh, uh, the Australian Prime Minister. Well, they're protesting in general the abuses of the of successive uh, Australian governments uh, stealing their land effectively and, and marginalising them. But they were also protesting about the Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott's uh, recent comment who's, when he talked about, uh, he was talking, he was waxing kind of poetic and nostalgic about Australia in a speech just a few days ago. And he said that when, uh, you know, this Australia, this great country, when we arrived here, it was basically like a desert or it was a, uh, there was nothing but bushes and swamps. And it must have seemed so harsh and so desolate to the people. A land without people for people without land. Pretty much. He was pulling his honest card on that one in Palestine. And uh, and uh, obviously he really annoyed the uh, the aboriginals. Uh, the I don't think you're allowed to call them aboriginals anymore. Definitely not abos, but um, the first peoples, I think they're called. It doesn't really matter. The people who were there originally when the when the convicts and uh, etc. came to Australia a couple of hundred years ago, uh, he basically just ignored them. So they were protesting on the streets in Brisbane. You had people protesting about you know climate change. Okay, you know there's many different angles of climate change, but the bottom line is people are aware of the fact that serious stuff is happening um, on the planet in terms of climate change. The climate is changing in a serious way and these people were protesting. Of course, they're protesting about you know, carbon emissions and all that kind of stuff, but at least they're aware. At least it's, it's something that, that people can, uh, uh, people are, even if they've got the wrong end of the stick, they're, they're yeah. complaining about something that, is, that matters to them in the sense of it's, it's affecting their, their lives. Um, there were protests about uh, various different people, Myanmar, Burma, genocide going on in Burma with a kind of um, uh, a government in, in Burma that is not long out of a uh, dictatorship uh, uh, persecuting Muslims. There were various different protests going on. So these ordinary people in this in the street in Brisbane were protesting things that actually most of them uh, were valid and, um, you know, they were meaningful and uh, those people were being responsible, essentially, whereas their leaders, supposedly responsible ones, uh, we're just having a back, back slapping, good old time, laughing and chuckling, and mainly used it as an opportunity to metaphorically kick the shit out of Putin. So, I mean, like extremely childish little slights and digs and uh, marginalizing of him, isolating him, putting him on the end of, of the group of people, you know, and then the media piled on with their, you know, commentary and all of that. So it was extremely childish. It was like a bunch of brats all ganging up on someone they didn't like and saying, yeah, we're all cool, aren't we? And he's evil, he's evil. That's what we got, basically. So it was a complete reversal 
of what uh, supposedly the, the order should be, which is that our political leaders are the responsible ones and the ordinary people run around uh, being like little brats and spoiled children. But it was completely the opposite, and that's how, how bad it's got. Yeah, it's it's the the fakery of the whole thing. I mean, they meet and they shake hands and they smile and they hug koalas, while at the same time, they real people are actually killed in conflicts generated between these two, whatever two leaders who are enemies or proxy enemies. I mean, it's just a sickening facade of of normalcy, of civilization, in quotes. When, when if you know what's really going on, it, oh, it just it sends shivers down your spine when you see how how sycophantic the press coverage of it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the journalist knows full well that hugging the koala is a photo op, it's a press op, but he doesn't. He doesn't acknowledge it and move on to. <laughs> he waxes like. Oh, he 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 actually you know wants the, the audience to think that that was the high point, the big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything everything else be damned. Uh, you mentioned the the climate change protests as well. This, this is how seriously. They take it. It wasn't on the agenda at all. And it was like inserted last minute into a a statement that they all supposedly agreed on. Oh, yes, and climate change will fight climate change. Uh, They weren't even bothered initially to give it lip service. That's how... But you see, there are two things at work here because there's climate change and there's climate change. Mm -hmm. There's the climate actually changing... And no one has a clue what to do about it because they can't do anything about it. And does the climate change, that's all your fault and we're going to tax you for it. Mm-hmm. What were the official topics? What were they supposed to discuss? Uh, I finally found them. Finally, finally. Um, <clears throat> oh, my God. It was Officially, it was going to be mainly about economics. So... The, the G20 leaders pledged to grow their economies by 2.1%. 2.1, don't ask me where they got that figure from, by 2018. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. The, the, these people couldn't grow an economy if their life depended on it. <laughs> their economies are tanking. I mean, the real economies are mm-hmm. 40% unemployment in the US, 50 million people on, on food stamps. Uh, they're, they're telling you what they mean is we're going to fiddle the statistics to make it look like we can achieve this goal and thereby satisfy the shareholders for Wall Street profits, you know, their bottom, their bottom, what do they call it? Their bottom line. Their bottom line. And That's they couldn't what they just mean send by, an email to say this? They had to meet? They had to, but what's the point I mean, of it all? If they meet, that was a point. That's, 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 maybe oh, I'll what? shake your did hand. Did he not see that coming? I... Why did he bother to go? You know? Mm-hmm. The guy left early. Bless him. I, I, I would have just... <laughs> I mean, just not even bother turning up. I, mm-hmm. um, so, they, uh, yeah, press release. We're going to grow our economies by 2.1%, whatever. 
Oh, the other big economics, financial related topic was they all agreed that tax evasion is really bad and they agreed to fight clamp down on tax evasion. That is something to watch out for because when they talk about tax evasion, they're talking about screwing the little people. Yeah. Tax evaders among ordinary people who are doing what they have to do just to survive. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you can bet your butt that they mean tax evasion. They will they will facilitate tax evasion for the corporations. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we're going to get tough on tax evasion. Like we're going to get tough on terrorists. Well, not really. We're going to fund the terrorists to terrorize you, and we're going to get tough on your reaction to the terror. That's what we mean when we say we're going to fight terrorism. Mm-hmm. Climate change, blah, blah, no Ebola, lip service, you know. But yet the main thrust of it was we're going to sh- we're going to send a statement to the markets about how we're going to have a miraculous recovery. Don't ask us about the details. Us saying it will just inspire the market to, you know, pick up the tab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So it's, it's a farce. And I, I got me wondering, where did these G things originate? Um, G things, G strings? I don't think there were G-strings involved, but um, it, it is that kind of, that's how seriously I take it. No, but there was originally, the, it began as a group of 10 in the early 70s, 71 or 2. It was semi-secret. Why was it semi-secret? That's totally unlike today where it's heavily broadcast and you're all supposed to know that. Look at the world government. It's all functioning nicely together. We're all one big team. Putin, come here and give us a hug. You see? We're all one. One world government. See? He's in on it too. You see? Uh, it began semi-secret because it was actually a spin-off of one of the Bilderberg meetings in the early 70s. Bilderberger today, of course, is, oh, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing to see here. You know, we just, we're just having, you know, a meeting. Of course, because they can't hide it in the Internet age. But back in those days, it was secret. Um, 72 or 73, there was... Uh, the U.S. economy was in serious trouble. It always has been. Basically, it's a permanent condition of the U.S. economy because it relies on the dollar having world supremacy. They realized that their gold supplies, which back then had to be a fixed amount of gold to the U.S. dollar in order to be able to, uh, if anyone anywhere in the world traded in their dollars for the gold, they would be able to take the physical gold from the U.S. By the early 70s, the U.S. had like only a quarter of the gold physical gold to match the dollar, that precipitated a collapse of Bretton Woods. But the U.S. went about it in a way that nobody would kind of notice, they hoped. And that's where the oil crisis came from. It came from this group of 10 meetings, the U.S., U.K., Western European countries basically agreed to create the oil crisis of 1972-73. That whole thing wasn't just an, an, a fate of the natural laws of economics. Oops. It was Kissinger's idea to deliberately raise the price of oil by 400%. And that's where it shifted from a dollar backed by gold to a dollar backed by U.S. control of world petrols, petroleum supplies. Group of 10. And since then, they've gradually become watered down to this farcical parade of horribles where nothing, real, no real decisions are made of the G20. It's just a political freak show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, political freak show, that's exactly what it is. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for Putin, they would have been a lot more, uh, would, have been most, would have been much more bored, uh, I think, on this one, you know, because they got an opportunity to bash Putin. Uh, for example, um, 
Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Uh, apparently, he was the one who uh, he's he's the one who has recently been uh, kind of inducted into the False Flag Terrorism Hall of Fame in uh, uh, or has inducted Canada into the False Flag Terrorism Hall of Fame. In that, uh, as most people know, they, those are recent very obvious false flag terror attack uh, in in Canada in Ottawa. Um, but so Harper lands down in Queensland, and he's uh, he's been he's blooded. Really pissed, he's really pissed at Putin, you know. Well, he's been he's been blooded, so his his blood's up type of thing, and he's really pissed off at Putin in particular because uh, uh, Putin or Russia has effectively cut uh, Canada out of um, kind of an, the Asia, in particular China, uh, oil market essentially because by doing all these deals, by Russia doing all these deals with with the Chinese, the Chinese no longer need. Um, Canadian oil, for example, uh, because you know, well, there's it's a lot more expensive to to extract, I think, and it's also the logistics of it uh, over the sea, etc. Would just it's, it's not really a, a good idea. And kind of Harper dropped the ball on that one effectively, and he's really pissed at Putin for stealing away his Chinese oil market. So uh, he, that was maybe the the source of his uh, of his comment to Putin. You get out of Ukraine. Yeah, uh, and I mean, you know, I mean, I'm assuming that actually happened. But if you know, he's the prime minister of a guy who's, you know, over there. Exactly, get out of Ukraine. You say, hang on a minute, where are you from? From Canada, right? Canada's where is Canada? It's up above America, and Ukraine is right. It's on Russia's doorstep. And so, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, you know. I mean, you'd love to think that someone would give him, if that's what he actually said, that you'd, that someone would, uh, Putin would have given him a, an appropriate response, you know. For me, an appropriate response would have been just a headbutt or something like that, you know. Well, I was hoping he'd just knead him in the balls and move on down the line to oh, take his seat. Oh, but he was yeah. nice. Or just push, put his hand in his face and say, out of my face, Harper. But he didn't. He said, I don't know, he said basically, I don't know what you're talking about because we're not in Ukraine. He said, we he can't said, do I would it. Have... You're asking me to do the impossible because we're not there. Yeah. Um, so, and then Obama, of course, Cameron was bullshitting on the British Prime Minister, David Cameron was bullshitting on about Putin, Putin's evil, Putin's a threat to the world. Uh, actually, it was Obama who said at a speech in Queensland. He did, he did another Hitler thing. Uh, Cameron did another Hitler thing, pulled out a Hitler uh, reference in terms, uh, as regards Russia, comparing Russia to Hitler, the Nazis. Uh, and then Obama gave a speech to Queensland University students where he said that Russia was a threat to the entire world. Uh, he said over Ukraine, but obviously, well, that's a bit of a stretch. Ukraine, the entire world, Russia, uh, really? Uh, but he said, well, in the sense of Russia obviously shot down MH17 and there were people from all over the world on that plane. Therefore, Russia is a threat to the entire world because Russia shut down his brain. Of course, I mean, it's just amazing that these people can come out with this kind of bullshit, you know, that, they're, that they think themselves, you know, kind of, you know, entitled to just spew this bullshit. I mean, even allowing for the whole kind of psychopaths, reality creation and all that kind of stuff, these people know that they're lying when they said, Obama knows he's lying when he says that kind of thing. Because there is no evidence that Russia had anything to do with shooting down MH17. 
and the entire world knows that. Nobody has come out and said it all. The only reason anybody thinks that Russia shot down or had anything to do with the shooting down of MH17 is because the media uh, waged, since the plane fell out of the sky, the media has waged a non-stop propaganda offensive trying to convince people that Russia was involved without providing any evidence whatsoever. In fact, in the face of evidence to the contrary, provided by Russia. So this is what people need to remember this, you know, we need to really, because the onslaught, the propaganda onslaught is so in, uh, intense and incessant, you have to kind of now again remind yourself that there is no evidence whatsoever for Russia having had anything to do with the shooting down of M17. Or the invasion of Ukraine, or all the lies that they've been spewing since. Well, well, I mean, thing. the invasion of Ukraine, uh, I mean, being inside Ukraine, there's wiggle room there, but specifically in terms of this shooting down of the plane, there's no evidence whatsoever, but the the jury's in on it, you know, I mean, it's, 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 um, the judge, jury, and executioner is the Western government and press, Western governments and the media, and they've decided and that's it, and it's, a, it's officially, it's more or less official historic now that that Russia shot down MH17 in some way or other, and and they they parrot this, but they themselves know. I mean, unless they're extremely uh, stupid individuals, these world leaders, these Western leaders, must know that there is no evidence for that. And in fact, if they're anyway half informed, they'll know that uh, in all probability it wasn't Russia. Russia had nothing to do with, it. and in fact, it was something to do something some element of. Uh, the Ukrainian government or the Ukrainian military that did it. They must suspect that. If they were asked, maybe they don't know for sure, but if they're asked, they would probably, in, 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 if they were to be honest for once in their lives, they would probably say, yeah, well, probably wasn't Russia. But they get up on stage, on the world stage, at a world forum like the G20, and tell everybody that Russia is a threat to the entire world because it shot down in 17. I mean, that's just scurrilous. That's amazing. I mean, people don't understand the depth of that duplicity. I mean, they're essentially accusing Russia, and by implication, in fact, not even Russia, they're accusing one person, Putin, the president of America, of the freedom-loving world, of the world, is accusing one other person, the president of another country, of being responsible for the death of 298 people when he knows that there is no evidence for it. What do you call someone like that? And he's responsible for I mean, the death of many, many well, more. Of course, yeah. Well, I mean, the hypocrisy, like, is, hypocrisy goes without saying, but um, what I'm saying is how, I mean, it's one thing for one person to, to tell a lie, to lie about another person and, and, and pin a blame for a murder, for example, on another person. People have done that. It happens all the time. But this is happening uh, in, in the context of someone like Obama at the G20 having access to the entire uh, global media and a large percentage of the global population. That's far beyond what the average scumbag in the street does where he tries to frame someone else for a murder. That happens all the time in, the, in, in ordinary society. People try and blame other people, get them in trouble, even blame them for murder, murder and get them sent to prison for, their li- for life uh, for something they didn't do. But this is much worse than that. So Obama, by definition, is much worse than the average scumbag in the street that no one would piss on if they were on fire because of the kind of things they do. Obama is much worse than that because he has done the same thing, but in the context of spreading that lie to a large percentage of the global population and demonizing another person, another the leader of another country in that way. I mean, there's no... I, I, I fail to find the words to describe the disgust 
and the lack of a decent moral bone in his body, which leads us to the obvious conclusion that he's a psychopath and he doesn't have any yeah. of that. So there you go. Yeah, it's it, you're, you're left speechless because they have. I mean, it's a it's a conspiracy theory to say that they have control of the world media, but when it's all seen from the same hymn sheet. I mean, just 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 look at the G20. It, the appearance, it, the illusion it gives of all of the leaders there speaking with one voice, even though no one but the the, the British Anglo-American dudes, uh, Harper, Abbott, uh, Obama, and Cameron, it's just their statements, anti-Russian statements that were made. None of the others said anything anti-Russian, and yet it can be that lie is just repeated so much that it gives the impression of, oh, here's the great meeting of all the world's leaders, and they all speak of one with one voice, and they all condemn Russia. And the, the, the media then has, has it's just pure license to run with that. It's like, I mean, the, the quote that's attributed to Goebbels, the bigger the lie, the easier it is. It, it's, it's so applicable in this day and age. And it's so large that you're like, yeah, you're, you're left speechless. Uh, on, on the point of Obama knowing full well that he's lying, that MH17 was a means just to 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 demonize Russia. I mean, if anyone again, from sort of from the sidelines, you, you get a more detailed statement from one of the Western cyborg commanders. In this case, the um, chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff. I mean, that's pretty senior, right? Martin Dempsey. Uh, he says to some like lower-level summit meeting that Russia is pushing the limits of international order, i.e., our order, to the need to deter Russian aggression, blah blah blah, against our NATO allies. He said that Russia is a problem because it has lit a kind of a fire of nationalism. Once you light that fire, it's not controllable. What I'm most worried about is Europe. We're going to lose Europe if other countries. He didn't quite. He didn't spell it out fully, but at least what I'm projecting onto that is a kind of awareness on their part that Russia sets an example for other countries, and then they lose. They, they lose this, this control they have over the minds of, pe- of people, especially of leaders of other countries. Um, along that vein, right now, we've mentioned in a previous show that Hungary's leader is, uh, has been very naughty. He's not only verbally supported Putin, he gave the green light recently for the Hungarian section of the South Stream pipeline, which would bypass gas supplies from Russia into the Europe bypass uh, Ukraine and so I read analysis and I agree with it, I think these protests erupting in Hungary over attacks for use of internet I, I, I say that's been simplified, I say it's not as simple as attacks for using the internet but uh, mass demonstrations on the streets of Budapest, this is probably your colour revolution style regime changing going on 
their Prime Minister Viktor Orban is definitely a target because even if it's just the leader of a small European country, for someone to verbally express support of Russia and then back it up with economic facts on the ground, he's in trouble. Yeah. And when there's a... But he's, he seems to be the kind of guy who is, uh, whether by design or whether intentionally or as a result of uh, just the kind of person he is, he seems to be, he's a bit kind of uh, right wing, let's say. Um, but that could be a media spin on the fact that he, uh, you know, he essentially isn't in line or doesn't want to play ball with the Western kind of... Uh, well, Putin is right wing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they're all called right wing, but yeah. I mean, he's he's kind of authoritarian. But the point is that if you want to resist the the influence or the interference of the Anglo-American empire builders, you have to be authoritarian because they have ways and means of subverting essentially your country and the, particularly the population in your country. So um, he seems to be, at least now anyway, up to the task. And, of course, that'll be spun in the Western media as him clamping down on protests and all this kind of stuff, or there being protests. So it's very it's very important to kind of try and separate separate out uh, the genuine protests from from the kind of manufactured protests that are a result of uh, Western NGOs, uh, you know, jerking people's chains and throwing money at different uh, groups that suddenly spring up to, to protest this or that in a specific country. And you look at the, the kind of geopolitical context of, of what that uh, where that country's government is, is going, you know. Um, but in terms of, I mean, Putin took a beating at the G20 and apparently, ultimately, in the end, he did leave early. He left early today, Sunday, whatever time it was in Australia. But uh, saying that he was, he apparently said he needed to get more sleep. But uh, yeah, I can imagine he have been bored to death by, I the, don't blame in, him. by the incessant kind of uh, nitpicking and, and, and childish uh, catcalling that was going on. Um, but ultimately... That's a, a small price to pay, I would say, for him, uh, because what he's getting to do is watch the the the, the Western kind of empire builders uh, shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly over and over again. You know, um, they are. He he said uh, just a few days before the uh, the G20 that. In an interview with a German TV station, he said that um, he doesn't understand why they are, uh, why the West, uh, the EU, and the US are sanctioning Russia, trying to destroy the Russian economy, essentially, um, because that because there's uh, a lot of uh, investment on the part of Russia in Ukraine, or conversely, Ukraine owes. Um, Russia or has loans from Russia to the tune of something like 25 or 27 billion dollars. Um, so by destroying the Russian economy, by trying to destroy Russian the Russian banking system, they're going to, by definition, uh, screw over the Ukrainian economy as well. But their, and their whole point about this is the whole point supposedly about the uh, in terms of the Maidan protests and getting rid of Russian influence in Ukraine was to, you know renew Ukraine and bring it into the EU, the wealthy Western world and, and, and make everybody happy and prosperous, but they're going, they're doing the opposite essentially, that they're, they're subverting their own supposed uh, agenda by, through this insane, irrational uh, desire just to see Russia 
go down, you know. But it's not ultimately it's not insane or rational if you come at it from the point of view of just uh, unfettered greed, essentially, and a desire to maintain America, the U.S., and its client states in, in Western Europe as the uh, leaders of the world, the controllers of the world, the, the dominant power in the world, and they're seeing that slipping away, and that's why they want to destroy Russia, and by definition, or by implication, China, because those two countries are moving towards becoming the new powers in the world, and they intend to do it in such a way that uh, certainly other countries in the world don't see the kind of uh, um, uh, negative fallout that has been that they've experienced as a result of the the Anglo-American empire that has prevailed over the past hundred years. So that's why they, they simply want to hold on to power, and they're willing to destroy Russia. And even if it destroys Ukraine, they don't really care about Ukraine. Is the point? They don't give one damn about Ukraine, even though they say they do. That's just a pretext for attacking Russia. So that's what happens. I mean, these people are insane, and they have only one a singular goal to maintain their position as global leaders when their position as global leaders is founded on uh, corruption and abuse and the theft of resources and the impoverishment of other countries. And those other countries are finally kind of, a few of them anyway, are kind of finally saying no and standing up and saying no, and the US isn't able to understand that or accept that and tries to simply push on and defeat them and stop them from essentially balancing the world a little bit more and, and, and asserting their rights and not living under the boot of the U.S. anymore. And the U.S. Uh, plans to... So it's, they're fundamentally fighting against a natural order that is re-establishing itself. And in doing that, the only way they can do that is to ultimately engage in self-destructive, self-destructive and self-defeatist uh, strategies. And they can't see it. But it's kind of getting so ridiculous. I have to applaud the guy because, you know, I just see that this father or grandfather saying, children, children, now, you know, you better, you, what you're doing is really bad for you. Like recently in another interview, he says, he said something like, uh, the, the country that's, um, violating international law is, uh, the U.S., but because of their monopoly on the media, and he said that, so he's a conspiracy theorist. Because of their monopolies uh, in uh, in the media, this information is uh, hidden, and the uh, the sanctions, which are taken at a national level instead of being discussed, are completely ridiculous. And in the end, it's going to hurt you, United States of America. So don't do it, children. You know. And then he keeps going, and and then he said, you're you're also going to damage uh, the economy in the in um, the uh, European Union. And that's why you're so desperate to make new deals with uh, gas and oil with the EU. But he, like every two sentences, he kept, you know, this is bad for you. You should stop. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, at some point, the responsible parent needs to smack him. No? He may get to that. I mean, especially I children like this. Well, but he's not, he doesn't need to smack them because they're smacking themselves. You know, I think it was Napoleon said that. Uh, uh, never stop an enemy who is uh, repeatedly making mistakes. You know, yeah. I mean, they're repeatedly making mistakes, and they don't seem to know what to do when they make a mistake. They they ignore it, or they 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 pretend it isn't happening, and and, and push on through. And repeatedly, I mean, it's 
they're, they're able to maneuver in, in the meantime, you know, when, when they see things going wrong. I mean, they see things going wrong, wrong in the sense of Russia and China uh, asserting themselves and, and gaining power in the world and doing deals together, etc., and doing deals with other countries. They, that's the first thing that was going wrong. They take action to try and subvert that, but they don't realize that those two countries in particular will respond uh, as they're entitled and able to do. And so the U.S.'s attempt to, to stop the situation from going wrong, as in from the U.S. losing power to Russia and China, uh, they, they, they make a mistake. They push, it, they push too far and they get pushed back. And they said, oh, they can think, oh, shit, what are we going to do here? And they try to do something else. And, and they just get themselves in deeper, you know, and ultimately they have to. Uh, it's the classic kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face, you know. They have a singular, ob- irrational objective. And an irrational objective means ultimately that you will do things that are irrational and fundamentally self-defeatist, you know. And that's what we're seeing, like the example I just gave. And also, for example, they're, you know, the reason the one of the ways they're trying to screw over Russia Another way they're trying to screw over Russia is by having the Saudis produce, uh, increase their oil production so that the price drops. Um, and, yeah. and, and then, and the, the, like the Saudis produce oil, their break even for oil is, uh, they, they produce it, their cost price is $30 a barrel. You know, so the Saudis can, can, can take a, a, a big hit on the price of, of oil but Russia kind of would like to have it at least $80 a barrel, but it's already below $80 a barrel and they're increasing output and it's, still, and it's going to, apparently it's going to continue to reduce. Um, the, the price is going to continue to reduce. So this is an attempt to screw over Russia's, Russia in the, in the form of, of reducing their oil revenues so they don't have money. That's their, their rise. But... And about that, Putin did say to the media, "It's a." they asked him, why do you think the oil prices have uh, gone down? And he said, well, I suspect it's a political motivation. I mean, the guy keeps saying these but, things. But the, but the thing about it is, yeah. the thing about it is that by reducing the, the price of oil, you're hitting a lot of other oil producers mm-hmm. who depend on, who are your friends and who depend on oil being, like Russia, depend on oil being above a certain threshold to make enough money from it. So there are several other oil-producing countries uh, that are being screwed over by the U.S. Uh, indirectly through Saudi Arabia by forcing Saudi Arabia to flood the market with oil, reduce the overall price. These other countries that produce oil don't get as much either, as well as Russia, for their oil, and their, and their economies kind of start to tank as well. And these are, these are countries that the U.S. relies on for support for its agenda of, you know, stopping the march of Russia and China. So, I mean, this is another example of self-defeatist, self-defeatist uh, policies, but they can't, the only thing they could do that would be otherwise would be to back off and accept the reality as it is. You're no longer top dog and you no longer will be top dog and you're going to have to retake your, your place, your kind of rightful place in a new world that is based on a more realistic uh, share of the world's resources. Uh, the U.S. Do- is no way entitled and never has been entitled to be the dominant power in the world economically. It never should have been. It has 5% of the world's population. And it's way over thousands of miles away from the biggest land mass on the planet, with it, which is Eurasia. It's completely imbalanced, completely wrong for the U.S. to, to ever have been uh, 
the dominant, the, the superpower, the, the most powerful nation in the world. And that has run its course and it's ending. So what do you do when you, all these years you've been getting away with, with uh, being the top dog when you're not entitled to it and you, you're, you don't deserve it and you have nothing to back it up? What do you do? Well, people would you'd expect someone like that to back down and say, okay, we had a good go at it. Let's just you know accept the facts. But they can't do that because they're pathological. They want supreme power for themselves all the time. So it's fundamentally irrational, fundamentally schizophrenic, essentially, because the fact of the matter is that the U.S. does not deserve to be the world's, cannot be the world's global superpower without uh, imposing itself on other people by waging wars and dominating and stealing resources. So it's essentially like someone in your neighborhood who's been going around threatening, a mafia boss in the neighborhood who's been going around threatening other people, uh, lives in a small enough house, doesn't even live in the biggest house in the block, uh, but has been going around uh, stealing other people's uh, from their houses or robbing them uh, on the street and that kind of stuff, you know. And eventually people have said, listen, you're not going to do that anymore uh, because who are you to steal from other people? And uh, and that person just doesn't, because the very the thing that, that uh, motivated them to become dominant in the first place will stop them from backing down. Mm. They're not, they don't accept, they don't see themselves and they don't accept the idea of themselves as not the preeminent power in the world. So, but what do you do? You're, you're, you're running into a brick wall. It's no longer possible for you to do that anymore. People are fighting back. And, you know, you'll, I, I don't know, I mean, a good example is, um, it's not, it just occurred to me, there's a movie called In Broad Daylight, uh, which is a true story about a, a guy, um, what was his name again? Um... I can't remember. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Ken. Ken. McElroy. Ken McElroy. McElroy. Uh, in the 80s in, in Missouri, in a small town in Missouri, and he was just running around abusing everybody, shooting at people, stealing from them, stealing their cattle, stealing their, you know, stealing everything he could get his hands on. And eventually the townspeople just stood up to him and... Uh, shot him. And, and, and shot him. He And he had shot someone beforehand in, in his attempt to uh, intimidate people. And eventually... But he put himself in a position at the very end where he was even aware that people were out to get him. People were going to take action to stop him. And he was like, I don't care. I'm still top dog around here, you know? Even in the case where he's about to be shot dead, swaggering, saying, I'm top dog, because they can't do otherwise. And that's the position the U.S. is in. And the U.S. is about to be shot dead. Um, and I highly recommend that book, by the way. It's a book. It's The movie is based on a book. If you want to read about psychopathy at the micro level and then see how it applies, it's excellent. I mean, coercion and lies and evilness from the very beginning, and the guy cannot let go. Yeah, it's called In Broad Daylight. So I'm feeling very pe- pessimistic today about this because I know... I hear what you mean, and Putin has used this metaphor himself. He says, what they're doing is cutting off the nose to spite the face. Mm-hmm. What I'm, I, I think, though, that it is actually working. The rigging of the oil price, the sanctions, uh, currency, currency speculation are causing a flea of the Russian ruble. It is taking a hit. Yeah, but the Russian, Russian... There's only so much the Russians can do Russia can against take, that. Well, the Russia can take a hit is what they can do. They can take a hit because they have their people behind them. And the people know they've informed their population okay. uh, about what's going on. And the Russian people, by and large, are willing to put up with a lot. And in the past, in living memory, 
have put up with a lot socially and economically that they're well prepared to do it again if necessary. The US, on the other hand, is completely screwed in that sense. There's going to be, I mean, just imagine Black Friday all across the entire nation. People being trampled to get to stores, mass riots and chaos and shootings with the whole country loaded up, you know, <laughs> toting guns and stuff. I mean, the U.S. is going to go down in the ball of flames, basically. Well, and added to that, that added to that, sorry, Joe, is that um, Russia and China have both been taking precautions, and they did. They do say we have enough reserves. They've been buying a whole lot of gold. They've been making these new deals, so they're not in the water even though they may be taking a hit right now. While the U.S. has nothing, has paper printed with no backing on anything, no means of production locally. I mean, countries like Russia and China have the means to survive without... I was looking at gold stats. Um, Yes, Russia is far and away. Headline here, Russia goes on decades' biggest gold spree, gold buying spree. But actually, they're, Russia and China are still, at least officially, because nobody knows just how much gold the U.S. has. They have some official stats, but there are a lot of grounds for suspicion by gold watchers in the U.S. They think that there's far less than what they're saying. But officially, the U.S. still has at least 50% more of the gold. Um, but yeah... How they're prepared economically is one thing. I think Joe touched on something important there. The social glue, the fabric that holds the country together in the U.S., there they are in negative equity <laughs> to a serious degree. I mean, it's, they barely, I mean, people are patriots in the U.S., you know, but it's such a thin, it's such a thin veneer of patriotism, you know, USA, USA. And it's, it's not really backed by anything financial, you know, not least any kind of collective memory of suffering. And you know, they're no, pissed no off right now. The they can love their country and be pissed off anyway. And with the police state going on, the hunger, everything can turn around one second in the U.S., mm-hmm. which wouldn't happen in countries which who have suffered, like Russia. Yeah. People uh, know how to get... People have skills still. I mean, there's... Basic things like normal skills. How, how many people in the U.S. would survive? Yeah, the vast majority of people in cities wouldn't. Um, it's, I mean, there's been people, there's been protests over the world, essentially. Yeah. The amount of protests happening in this year and in, even in recent weeks and even in this past week is, is very high. I mean, there's been... We just mentioned the protests in Hungary. There was uh, protests in Italy, in Poland, in Ireland. Um, there's and the thing about these kind of protests that you see happening these days is that they have a, at least the way the media reports them, they have a kind of a nationalistic or a right wing quote unquote um, flavor to them. And you know, in Italy, for example, the a big part of it was protesting about uh, immigration or immigrants. Uh, the same thing in Poland, you know, that was characterized as right-wing Polish kind of uh, neo-Nazi types, etc. But that may that may be true to some extent, but there are also a lot of people protesting essentially about the, you know, 
essentially the state of the economy and how it affects them, which is, um, you know, in terms of lack of jobs, uh, austerity cuts on kind of social welfare payments, um, and general corruption among the the, the politicians. Um, and the thing about it is, is that when you have the this kind of austerity business, which is essentially just the, the elite taking money out of the public purse and giving it to themselves and their friends and, and corporations. When you have that, you give rise to that kind of a right-wing nationalistic element within society. So you can, you know, and the media will try and dismiss those. It's a very easy way for the media to dismiss those kind of protests when they're fundamentally provoked by. Uh, so, a social malaise, essentially, and an economic malaise within the country because of that theft of resources and theft of money from from the the country and from the from the public purse by the elites. Uh, it tends to turn it towards a kind of a nationalistic kind of uh, uh, you know agenda, essentially. Uh, and like I said, it's easy to dismiss, but it's based on, even if it's nationalistic in, in, in nature, it's based on real grievances, you know. Um, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. And I mean, you know, at some point, the whole thing's going to just descend into chaos and you are going to have right-wing groups who will uh, rise to power, essentially, you know, in, that kind of, in, in a situation where you have a lot of social chaos, a lot of unemployment, a lot of poverty. They're the kind of people who who rise up because they have a, they're the strong people. They have strong words and strong ideals, and you know they can identify problems. Like immigrants, for example, it's a very easy uh, kind of scapegoat to point the finger at when there are no jobs and not enough money. Because when well, you see all these immigrants, they're they're a different color than us, and obviously they're taking money from the public purse in terms of social social benefits, unemployment, and and they're also taking our jobs, you know. So that kind of thing just happens over and over again, and has happened in the past, and will happen again, and we're seeing it happen increasingly right now. Um, there were protests, like I said, in Ireland, ongoing protests in Ireland about uh, about the water charges, you know. I mean, it's classic. We mentioned this before, but it's classic. That was, was an Irish politician who said, arguing for the need for people to pay for water in Ireland. Uh, he said that, well, it's not like it just falls from the sky. Well, in Ireland, it falls from the sky every day, almost. So, the thing about the, the water charges in Ireland is that that, that was mandated. It's essentially a privatization of the water uh, company or water system. Uh, water purification system in Ireland. And people in Ireland have already paid for, have already been paying for their water through taxation. So they've been taxed always for their water supply, automatically. But now they're adding on this extra tax, essentially, where each individual will pay a specific charge based on what they use, based on the size of the family, the size of their house they'll pay. And that's on top of what they already pay. So the idea that really, anybody should be complaining about people having to pay twice for their water. And the fact is this was mandated by the European Central Bank and by the IMF after the bankers stole all of the money from the Irish public purse when they had their bailout after they gambled it all away and took all of the money uh, to keep them afloat because everybody needs banks or so they tell us. And this was mandated by as part of an austerity program that the Irish water should be privatized essentially and people should be forced to pay again for water. I mean, if that isn't uh, an egregious kind of sticking the hand in type of thing and screwing people over, 
it's I don't know what is, you know, and people have every right to be on the streets. And most a lot of people are simply saying they're not going to pay for it. And but that kind of stuff. I mean, politicians are ridiculous. I mean, maybe they obviously just don't care, but they're provoking. They're poking a bear type of thing, you know. And this is a bear who's usually quite soft and cuddly and sleepy and hibernates most of the time, i.e. the average person in the street. To get that person riled up, they're going to you know, really take some serious action. It takes a lot of provocation, but they're doing it. They Apparently, the politicians and the elite seem to be determined to provoke people to the point where they will get violent. But maybe that's what they want. Because like John Lennon said, once they get you violent, they know how to deal with you. Yeah. The the water tax charge issue in Ireland actually predates the austerity crisis. I mean, it even predates the boom times in Ireland. They, they had this on on the shelf. It was being discussed in the late 90s. Uh, that's the strange thing about it. It's not that, oh, suddenly we desperately need to raise money and here's one way to do it. A crisis has come up. Great. Let's use the crisis to push through this legislation. It actually is 10 years. It goes back 10 years before it. Mm-hmm. Um, here you get into something I think is um, it's going on in the background. I've been churning it over in my head. It, it suggests a, a long-term conspiracy, but I don't know. It, it, it has its immediate um you can see the immediate reasons for it, kind of. Back in the 70s, the Green Movement was essentially created by a couple of important meetings that took place between the major oil companies, which were British and American. I mean, the Club of Rome, uh, the very, the, the very, the very ideas that now are commonly used by people whether it relates to um, protest against big oil because, you know, the climate is changing, so we want to cut down on carbon emissions. All of these things are from some discussion among people who go to, like, Ford Foundation meetings back in the 70s. What they first floated was the idea that there were limits, limits to growth, that the world had finite resources and therefore we had to better manage things and anything, a water tax charge, anything that could put pressure on average people's consumption of resources was good because you protect the environment. That sounds very plausible, right? I mean, we have all, uh, we've all been born into a world where these arguments are already well established and nobody can really disagree with that. Here's the thing, though. Ask yourself, who... Who is saying these things? Who is pushing it? It comes from the minds of the people who pillage the planet. Oil companies. It, the, the whole green movement originated and is pushed and promoted by the wealthiest people on this planet. Do you really think they have the environment's interests at heart? For them, it's the bottom line and control. By then, you have an Anglo-American empire, which has sort of coalesced over 50, 60 years, coming into the 70s, and they want to maintain their position. When I see this thing, and then I see um, 
the way in which the price of oil today is rigged, one of the main one of the main ways they've done it is to smash countries that produce oil. This helps you control it better because you maintain a balance of power, which is a British imperial term. So you're not able to reach your army over there into Eurasia to physically manipulate the situation to your benefit. But you can produce the situations that will just cause destruction, total chaos, but enough destruction that you maintain um, most favored nation status. I really think this this kind of thinking is, they might use different terms today, but it's still the same thing. This global elite mm. are doing what, what they do because they want to maintain balance of power for themselves. Balance of power for themselves. Yeah. Talking about the economy, there's a, there's a little audio clip I'm going to play here of a guy who kind of sums it up pretty much, and it's just recent uh, news. It's, it's, he sums it up uh, what is kind of going on with the, the economy. He refers specifically to uh, Japan, but he says that also the US and the EU have been doing exactly the same thing. So I'm just going to play this little uh, clip here, and I'm going to play something on uh, the Google Hangout as well, hopefully the same thing. And um, and we'll see, uh, see how it goes. Last week, a week ago, Friday, uh, October 31st, we had the biggie. We had Kuroda, the governor of the Bank of Japan, come out and surprise everybody in a, in a move that was specifically designed to move the markets. The central banks are no longer even pretending that they're doing anything other than moving the markets. And what did he do? He announced a vast expansion of the central bank purchase program. The Bank of Japan is now going to be buying more than 100% of all the new issuances of government bonds that are being issued by the Japanese government. And oh, by the way, they're issuing a lot of them because their tax receipts are barely 50% of their expenditures at this point. This is just a mathematical nightmare. And they went even further and they said, oh, yeah, we're actually going to be buying more stock indexes uh, in the Japanese Nikkei. Specifically, the central bank is saying we're buying stocks. So we got your back here. What happened? The yen tanked. The stock market went up. We've sifted through the data a little bit. And guess what? The extremely wealthy in Japan just got wealthier. Everybody else in Japan who needs food or fuel or those things that the central bankers don't seem to think are that important because they exclude them from their inflation measures when necessary, they just all got a lot poorer. And here's the part of the story that I just wrote about in this big two-parter that people need to understand. This deliberate act of policy is nothing more than taking money from pocket A and putting it in pocket B. Pocket A is everybody who's a saver, everybody who's got money stored up, everybody who's living on a fixed income, everybody who's retired. That is, the bulk of Japan got their pockets picked, and they put it in another pocket. And what did we see just yesterday? Toyota announced, hey, we just had these record earnings. This is great. And Toyota's a great company. They make great cars. I'm, I'm not faulting that. But part of their record earnings were due to the fact that the Japanese yen went down a lot. When the yen goes down and you're selling cars overseas, when you bring that money back, you get a lot more of it, it inflates your profits. But Toyota's like, whoa, look at all these profits we made. No, the billion dollars extra that Toyota earned came from somewhere. It came from the people of Japan. This process of wealth transfer is what our central banks are doing. Bank of Japan's been obvious about it. Our own Federal Reserve here in the U.S. is doing it. The European Central Bank is doing it. They're saying this. We need to take the money from all the little people out there 
because we don't trust that they're going to do the right things with it. We'd rather harvest that value and bring it over and give it to the people we do trust, which happen to be the big banks, the large speculators, the very wealthy, and the government. So this decision has been made by people who, by the way, it should be noted, in none of these countries are the bank officials elected. You have no recourse about anything they might do. Nobody gets to talk about this policy or vote on it or decide if it's a good thing or not. Your and my future is being decided by literally about three dozen people across the world who make these sorts of decisions. And that's the world that's going on. So that's what we're talking about this week. Yeah, so, I mean, the final point there was that that didn't actually, uh, I don't think that worked very well for um, for Google Hangout people because of our bandwidth, you know, uh, YouTube videos playing and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you got a little bit of it. But basically he's saying that uh, a few dozen people, i.e. the, you know, the, the, the heads of government and of, of central banks in major economies around the world are simply uh, reducing, they reduce the value of their currency, um, which means that uh, filters down to a kind of a depressed economy and less, less value of money uh, within the country. So the average person in the street has to pay more for goods, <clears throat> doesn't effectively doesn't have enough money or doesn't have as much money as they had before. Uh, but the big, uh, but banks selling bonds and big corporations who are doing business uh, internationally, their profits just go up, you know, you know, by two hundred percent or five hundred percent or a thousand percent, basically because of a currency exchange. So it's a, it's effectively taking money from, as he just said, taking money from the average person in a very real way, because it means how it translates is that when you go to the store go go to buy anything anywhere or have to pay rent or have to pay a mortgage or whatever uh, you have to pay more uh for it uh, and the 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 flip side of that is that when you have to pay more for certain things in that way when when the price of cost of living goes up that amount of money that you have to pay more i that you have less money of you have less money that uh, is reflected in the in the profits of corporations and the amount of money that the government actually takes in in terms of its investments. Well, it's interesting that he said uh, they um, uh, he said they want to take money from the little people because they don't trust that they'll do the right thing with mm. it. Now, that part, I mean, I think he's giving them a little bit too much credit because it's just because they want the money to go to the people they trust. Like he said, you know, they don't care about the little people. What are the little people do, are going to do with the little money they have already? Well, it's a, it's a narrative that they tell themselves, you know, that um, that they how they justify that kind of thing to themselves, which is that you know ordinary people don't uh, don't know how to manage these kind of things themselves. You know, they don't they don't know. Uh, but I wonder if the capital, the, the 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 disposable wealth that people have, people will just fritter it away on silly things that they don't really need when we should take some of that money, take that money away from people and stop them from... Um... Yeah, but, you know... Stop them from, from misusing their money. You know, they, they justify it to themselves in that way. But, yeah, their ultimate goal is to enrich themselves. Yeah, because, I mean, if you apply the same logic to all kinds of control they do today, I mean, look at the tobacco laws. They're protecting us, right? Look at the uh, big pharma. I mean, don't they know at some level that they're poisoning people? that they're making them dependent on drugs that are going to kill them? Or are they really having a narrative similar to that? Oh, they don't know what to do. They're, they're going to eat too much, you know, 
too much fat or whatever. I mean, sometimes I wonder to what extent they really have a narrative like that. Oh, these little people won't know what to do. We need to yeah, give them the Or are they really laughing behind the scenes and saying, no, oh, these, mean, little pe- these stupid people are like... I think if, if ever you wanted to give credence to the powers that be having a world population reduction program or mindset or narrative or whatever, this would be it. I mean, this has been a theme. They talk and talk about the growth of economy and how it's important. But in, in, in this thing, we can see that the reason they can still produce figures and say the economy grew by 5% last month is because the, they're measuring the fake economy. They're measuring the economy of money. The real industrial growth measures are all plummeting, mm-hmm. but they choose to ignore it. They mean as the economy grew, our economy, our wealth grew. And yes, to hell yeah. with, with the real world. Money for us. I, but I think the Kissingers of this world have a bit more to their narrative, at least. To what extent do they believe it? But... No, I mean, they, they can make themselves believe anything they want if if they're... I mean, we've thought of this before in terms of System 1 and System 2 in the kind of modern psychology where... where and this is the bane of human existence, essentially, where there's a motivation, a hidden motivation among the average person, among within any person, uh, where they want something, have a drive for something, and it's a fairly basic, fairly simplistic drive, but they come up with all sorts of complex, convoluted narratives that are utterly, ultimately bullshit to justify it. Uh, when your inner drive is kind of like like the average kind of person, a, a mixed bag, it's not so bad. They'll do some good now and again, and sometimes they'll do, do a bit of bad, and they'll justify it with their with their system one narrative. When your inner drive, as is the case with psychopaths, is pure greed, uh, domination, control, and you know destruction essentially, uh, that's when it's a problem because their narratives will justify all of that to themselves. You know, I don't think there is. A, this is the dividing line between a conscious conspiracy and the, the far more uh, scary and pessimistic view of it, which is that it's a function of human nature, including psychopathic nature, uh, as I just described, that 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 leads the world to be the way it is today, and leads has led the world and led civilizations to repeatedly go around in the cycle of ultimately destruction, destructive cycles, uh, because of human nature, because people don't understand their own motivations and come up with all sorts of bullshit narratives. I mean, just in terms of, of your question, Shu, I would just say that uh, look at a parent, look at any parent and how they view their child. Uh, they want to do what's best for the child, but they understand that the child has limitations and can't take care of itself, and I am responsible for the child, and it's self-evident that I'm responsible for the child. It's self-evident that I'm in a position where I need to take responsibility and need to look after the child and take decisions for it and do things for it, etc., for in its own best interest. But very often, uh, in this in this world in particular, uh, parenting doesn't go uh, very well, uh, and parents don't do the best by their children. And, uh, and they, the reason they don't do that, despite their parent good intentions, their benevolent, uh, caring intentions towards the child, they screw them up in some way. They, they uh, abuse their children, essentially, if not overtly, but then, then kind of like, kind of, you know, indirectly, if not directly, indirectly. So um, I think the same can apply to these leaders. They have the same attitude. They look at ordinary people and they see them as children. Uh, they see them as, uh, 
you know, uninformed, don't understand the way the world works. Of course, there's a manipulation in there in the sense that, yeah, they don't understand the way the world works because you don't tell them. And you, and you keep things from them. But parents keep things from children. Don't tell children about sex. It might scare them. They might go and have sex or something, and then what would happen? And why? Well, it probably wouldn't damage the child. The child might have a good time. I'm not talking about children here. But you know what I'm saying. The parents, <laughs> the parents. He means the par- teenagers. Teenagers. You know, teenagers, okay. teenagers. What I'm talking about is parents have hang-ups about that kind of thing. They have personal hang-ups, and they project them outwards. Uh, I have an unrecognized you know, hang-up about puritanism or something like that that was programmed into me that isn't even my own. I'm not totally unaware of it. Uh, uh, in terms of that's that, that I have that kind of a, a program, but uh, it gets projected outwards. But I justify it to myself and to everybody around me by some kind of, you know, narrative that everybody can accept, and so can I. So I mean, I think that covers an awful lot of what goes on in the world. I don't know if there are people who are like the top level kind of like dark lords with glowing red eyes and stuff who are like we are eating humanity and we're going to abuse them all and, <laughs> and steal from them and suck their lifeblood and, and we know that we're doing this and we know that it's wrong and we're never going to do it we're never going to stop doing it because that's just who we are and I love being a dark lord with glowing red eyes I don't know if there's any of those people who sit around and admit that to themselves or get a, you know, are you a dark lord? Yes, yeah, so am I, isn't it great being a dark lord? That kind of thing, you know, I don't think it's not because it's not necessary no, but I, I would say, well, I, my, that my guess is that their narrative wouldn't be, would be kind of like the parent, but in a sense, it's what Lobachevsky said in political ponderology. They're afraid that the normal people, the people with a conscience, would ultimately take over, you know. So when they, when he was saying, you know, we'll give, uh, we'll take the money from the little people because we don't trust that they'll do the right thing with it, I think that's a little bit naive of him because. Their narrative would be, well, let's kind of like the V from Vendetta, the chancellor have to remind, remind them why they need us. I mean, it's that constant. I don't, I, I don't think they even have the good intentions that the parents yeah. would, you know, it's like a system one that is telling them we need to keep these people at bay because, you know, they would control the world and that would be bad. Maybe they're not exactly. saying we're out to get them and, no, and exactly. kill them that's, and stuff. That's still a benevolent narrative. It's for their own good. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it comes down to it's for their own good yeah. all the time. Yeah. And that's what parents say as well. And the result of it. But without the coding that it's for, you know, I mean, I don't know if they go as far as to say that's for people's own good. They do. They always do. Yeah, I think that's so. Why I, they justify themselves, it, and they have justified themselves. I mean, it, it it sounds egregious, but I mean, Kissinger said it. Uh, in uh, he went as far as to say that um, uh, when the CIA was overthrowing uh, Salvador Allende and installing, uh, yeah. and ultimately installed Pinochet, he said that the that the that the situation is far too important, or the topic, or the matter is far too important to let the Chilean to let the Chilean people uh, decide, because they would make the wrong decision, because. They would decide to go with Allende and, you know, what would happen. They all, he can come up with all sorts of kind of par- a parade of horribles as to how it would all go wrong for them. It wouldn't go wrong for them. It would go well for them. But in his mind, as he justifies himself, it would go wrong for them. But what he doesn't understand is that his motivation is for self-interest. Mm. And, and that's the question. Does he admit, does he know that his, in, his motivation is self-interest? Does he sit down and say, I'm just in it for myself. I don't give a shit about these people. Well, he did call U.S. military men dumb, stupid animals, which they are. <laughs> <laughs> but it can all be it can all be translated down to 
you know, you can justify it all. You can find evidence to justify every evil thing that a person has done. That person can find evidence to make an argument for it. And you'll always have people say, yeah, well, maybe he has a point because there's some truth in it. It's a great analogy because it, it works in a couple of ways. If we have the net result today where um, it's a dysfunctional relationship. I mean, the parents have gone absolutely nuts. And they're adamant that they're doing it for people's best interest. The caveat, the thing that makes it always go wrong and the caveat is that the people in control who are making these decisions are psychopaths and their primary motivational drive is for greed, self-interest, domination and destruction. But that's hidden from them. Like I'm saying, they, they, they don't, you know, so that's where it goes wrong. Yeah. Really, really wrong on, on the planet where that is what, you know, someone else, a normal human being would probably do pretty, do okay most of the time. There would be the odd kind of, there would still be quite a lot of, you know, self-interest and all that kind of stuff, but there wouldn't be quite the level of of abuse and war and death and destruction. And, you know, they wouldn't justify, those people wouldn't be able to justify that to themselves because they have a kind of a moral substratum, essentially, that, yeah. that mitigates against that. But psychopaths don't have that, and that's why you're screwed. Juliana made reference to Putin in his in his words and his actions, he, he seems to have a kind of he he sees it at least uh, he, he expresses it, it as a pedagogical pedagogical role as a teaching a parent teaching other people whether it's teaching the U.S. or teaching ordinary Russians or or anyone else for that matter he said something recently um, there was a big summit before this G twenty one the APEC summit in in Beijing he was asked by a Western reporter if Russia would provide North Korea security guarantees if North Korea agreed to renounce nuclear weapons. Uh, the, the, the kind of dig he was getting at would be that um, Russia would join the axis of evil, you know, by essentially being big brother to North Korea. His response was, your question is too clever. I, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> This is not the moment yet even to raise that question, let alone answer it. Often the problem in the world is not the small countries who feel they are under siege or unwilling to change. Rather, it is that bigger countries are all piling on like bullies in the schoolyard and they don't know when to stop. It's just eminently sensible. But again, you get this idea that in the natural order of things, in a normal situation, in a normal world, you would have people who would also be in the same dynamic. As they would be in a parent-child dynamic. Yeah. But they wouldn't abuse the hell out of the kids, no. though. You wouldn't have psychopathic parents, which we do. Um, I mean, I can give you some examples. Uh well, just on that point of narratives and stuff, you know, there's a report from the UK that the, the coalition, that's the Conservatives, David Cameron and uh, Dave, Dave, the, Dave the, the geezer and uh, the Liberal Democrats are in government in the UK now. They, uh, they shifted money through their, um, through their welfare cuts and tax reductions. So they have this convoluted kind of like we're going to reshape the, the economy and we're going to cut taxes and but we're going to shift money from welfare to cut taxes and ultimately everybody will be, you know, everybody will be better off. It'll all be great, you know. And so they come up with this plan and the result is that they shifted money from the poorest to the better off. 
you know. Uh, and thereby the group's, the group's, the group's hardest hit uh, are single parent families, large families, children, and middle aged parents who make up the poorest 5% of the country. So that people who get screwed over. So, you know, I mean, this is the, this is the kind of country we have. This is the kind Things of are so bad. global economy we have yeah. where the poorest people, through these economic policies, what happens? The poorest people, not just the middle class people, or not even the middle class people, not the people who have some despair, but the poorest people in the country are the ones who lose the most through in these economic policies. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. I mean... Poorest people are the closest to the edge. They're the ones who are going to be first out in the streets because they are on the edge and it doesn't take a lot to push them over. But they're these cycles in power just happily going along and just defending it to themselves and, you know, saying it'll never happen or if it does happen, we'll send the police out and, you know, it's for their own good. You know, if they rioted and tried to, you know, turn turn things over in the country or, or throw overthrow the government or whatever they're planning, I mean, that would be terrible for everybody, right? I mean, can you imagine social chaos and, and, and shops being... In, looted and, you know, all sorts of nightmare scenarios. That's terrible. Nobody would benefit from that. It's just better for the poor just to grind on through and accept what's what's happening. Because, okay, it's not so great, but, you know, the, the alternative is much worse. Ultimately, you cannot have ever kind of mass uprising in a country in a Western, in a Western democracy, quote-unquote, uh, because it would just be terrible for everybody. And there has to be rule of law. And everybody agrees with that, even the poor people. Who are they were licking the gutters to get some nutrition? Literally, um, the UK is just in. I mean, the actual economy. I'm not talking about the London fake economy. Uh, charities now make up something like twenty to thirty percent of the welfare state of that country. It just look at this headline today: A charity is, is building Lego houses to tackle the UK rent crisis. People are collecting donations of Lego to build structures to live in for people who are losing their homes to be able to live in. Yeah, that's 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 for real. That's not like of the day. That's that's actually happening. Uh, there's a horrible story here that's um, just out from today. I mean, everybody knows about the. Most people should know about the uh, pedophiles in high places. In, in the UK and elsewhere, and in the US, for example, but, and in many other countries, I'm sure. But particularly in the UK, the Brits seem to have a particular penchant for uh, for abusing children and always have, uh, I don't know, Victorian values or something. Um, there's just It's been going on for a long time. Jimmy Savile, the entertainer, faded all over the UK for about 40 years, you know, knighted, by the Queen, given access to hospitals, uh, all sorts of things. He had this silly, silly kind of children's show. And then there's been many revelations about uh, there's been inquiries into paedophile rings uh, in in government uh, during the 1980s. And this one comes from that. And the headline is, a Tory MP murdered a boy at an orgy, uh, according to the, an abuse victim. So Scotland Yard, which is the British kind of uh, the English police, is investigating three possible murders linked to a Westminster, that's the British government, paedophile ring that was allegedly operating in the 70s and 80s. Uh, a Conservative MP, that's uh, the same Conservative party that's in power in the UK now, murdered a young boy during a depraved sex party in the 1980s. 
an alleged victim of the Westminster paedophile scandal has claimed. The 12-year-old boy who was being abused by a group of men was strangled by the politician at a luxury townhouse in front of other victims. On another occasion, the victim claims a young boy who was around 10 years old was deliberately run down and killed by a car by being driven by one of the abusers. Uh, These aren't uh, criminals. uh, This isn't the dregs of human society in the UK. These are uh, are vaunted leaders. Uh, And this is from the 1970s and 80s. And it is ongoing today. And these are the people represented at least by David Cameron at the G20 that were all meant to, uh, according to the Western media, were all meant to you know, be fawning over and watching video clips of and reading stories about how what a wonderful time they're all having and how much their hotels have been costing them in Brisbane with taxpayers' money, while a certain section of them have been for a long time uh, abusing and in this case murdering your children in sex orgies and um, and you're meant to be happy about all of that uh, you're meant to you're not meant to know about it but I mean this goes back a lot, it goes back an awful long time actually because there's a there's a just give me give me a second here somebody just logged in and they're in big trouble Okay, thank someone. Uh, someone sorted that out. Um, this, this is why when I see the headline, well, we, let me just let me just okay carry on from that from what I was saying there. Uh, back in 1885, there was a the Pall Mall Gazette was a popular mag- magazine in in the UK in the 1800s, and it was called the Pall Mall Gazette. Uh, and in July 1885, there was a, a serialized. Um, you know, uh, Serialized story, essentially a report uh, by uh, a, um, a journalist, William T. Steed, at the time. Uh, it was called the Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon, and it created a sensation in Victorian London uh, because it gave a shocking depiction of rampant sex, tra- child sex trade, thriving in the nation's capital. Related really, stories of girls as young as 10 and 13 years old who had been inveiled into houses of ill repute by scheming abductresses who were then pressured, who, who they, where they were pressured, manipulated, or coerced into prostitution. Um, and these these houses were basically uh, frequented by uh, politicians, or he, he described them as greedy flesh merchants. Um, uh, these were f- frequented largely by the elite and the political class of the day, and this is in 1885. So the point being, this has been going on, ongoing since 1885, and probably a long time before it. You know, so uh, it's good that this kind of thing is coming to light, but people need to understand that this is the the underbelly or the, the just below the surface of of our Western civilization. Essentially, it's depraved. Uh, and it's disgusting, and it's overseen and by the slash uh, the elite slash political class. And uh, just to think that we are, you know, giving our people give their allegiance to these people and look to them to protect them and uh, and and think that they are somehow better than them when it's just the, it's entire it's been entirely turned on its head. Truth and reality. Truth and, and lies have been subverted, uh, inverted for probably forever, I suppose. But it's just one example of just how um, are those least capable of social responsibility 
are the ones who get it. Take most of it. Yeah. But it's with, with a view to preying on the herd as they see it. Yeah. It's revolting. You know, um, people can say, oh, it's just a few. It's not so many people. You know, you're getting carried away and hystericizing people and stuff. Well, you know what? It's far better to, exa- not that I'm exaggerating, it's far better for people to think uh, that it's maybe worse than than it's being than is being reported, uh, and to maybe you know stretch it a little bit in terms of you know a, trying to trying to imagine just how bad it could get. It's far better to imagine how bad it can get or how bad it actually is and always has been than to say, oh no, you're just exaggerating. It's not so bad, and they'll be they'll be found and and prosecuted for it. So that because that just dismisses it and you know. <clears throat> argues for your cozy, fluffy, pink bunny rabbit kind of life where nothing bad ever happens, you know? But that's the society you're living in. And, I mean, to do that essentially is to blind yourself to uh, kind of quite a, a harsh, horrible reality that uh, that has you in its crosshairs ultimately as well in some way or other. So in the, in, sense, in, in terms of self-preservation and self-protection, it's far better to imagine or assume that it's probably, it's, it is much worse than you think it is or than you've ever been told than to do the opposite, which is to brush it all under the rug and say it's not so bad, it's all fine, you know, like my, like most people do, you know. There was a story kind of related to this. Um, I haven't seen it in the English media uh, very much, but it was it made it in the Spanish news because it was about immigrants in the detention centers in the U.S., and it was actually at Chicago school, John Marshall, that said that made a, um, an observation, a study there, and they said that sexual abuse in immigrant children now is systematic. It's not uh, isolated events, um, you know. And they pick on these children because they're already traumatized. I mean, to make it to the U.S. was already um, a traumatic event, and there was a little small protest in front of the White House to ask that Obama did something about it, you know, and that's that's going to be ignored. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, again and again, you see the most vulnerable people who are supposedly under the protection of the government being abused. And this one, like you were saying, you know, most people think it's just a few. I mean, this is a systematic, can't-hide-it-anymore type of event. Present, not from the 80s, not from, you know, people who suddenly get punished now because there's probably somebody who has... Who wants to punish them now? I mean, this is happening now. In how many countries, in how many other situations is it happening? Well, people, many people of a of a sensitive nature, and even those who aren't too sensitive, uh, don't like to watch uh, wildlife programs where the little baby gazelle is singled out from the herd by the lion or whatever other uh, predator uh, because it's not fair, right? I mean, that's the most vulnerable uh, animal in the herd and they're being singled out. Well, that's a very good analogy for what uh, she was just describing because we're dealing with effectively human predators and that's what they do. They single out the weakest in the herd. That's their proclivity because it's easiest and... um, and maybe even the the weakness and the innocence of those individuals is it gives them some kind of a some kind of a rush or something bizarre. Oh yeah, like for sure. Deranged like that, you know. And, it's, and these people are nobodies because they don't even have papers. 
if they're dead, what do they care? You know, I mean, they're really picking on the most vulnerable, for them, inexistent animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting absolutely. a kick out of it. Yeah, but they don't have that kind of moral code that uh, that you uh, you would uh, assume they have. And that's what we've said. They don't have that. Their prime directive is destruction, abuse. And uh, where they can, they'll organize it on an industrial scale. Mm-hmm. Um, we know from Ireland that... The, I mean, the education system, it seems, was built around how to maximize the suffering of children, young women, for decades. Mm-hmm. And it's all, I mean, it's all and more people, or less come out. And people end up conspiring in that. Ordinary people, ordinary decent people end up conspiring in that because they have this attitude of that could never happen. They, quote unquote, would never do that. People, another person, anybody would never do that. But that's why the idea of psychopathy is, or the concept of psychopaths and psychopathy is extremely important because people need to wake up to the fact that they <laughs> not everybody is born normal, born equal, and there are there is an interspecies predator that is very different from you, and they would do that. Just imagine yourself as a gazelle, all getting around saying, "Yeah, we don't eat other animals; we just eat grass." Can't be another animal that eats us. Yeah, that would never happen. That's crazy. What do you mean? A big like with a big, big sharp teeth that tears your limbs off? That, that's ridiculous. That's that's childish horror stories. And take a lesson from nature. Everyone gets eaten. The the top be the most efficient prey possible over the gazelle. Same with the psychopath. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are. This isn't just something that you might be able to hold back. Yeah. The efficiency of the of the lion, for example, in terms of speed and claws and teeth and stuff is reflected in the efficiency of the psychopath among humans in terms of their ability to be charming, beguiling, you know, affable, and to basically pull you in. That's their skill. That's their ability. That's how they have one over on you. Why, uh, you know, the, 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 the gazelles uh, don't fare too well um, against predators. And in this case, it's even more insidious because they look the same as you. Yeah, they speak the same as you. They yeah. talk the same. They 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 pretend they're the same until you're lured into their mm-hmm. web. So, yeah, there's another story that's been going on quite a while. Uh, a guy called Julian Blanc. He's an American. Uh, uh, he's he's a dating coach. One of these dating coaches where he tells uh, guys, men, how to how to be successful with women. But he has a particularly a particularly disgusting kind of uh, approach to it. Um, you know, they're called pickup artists, essentially. And um, I met one of those in real life. Yeah. Well, this guy takes the takes the cookie freak. He takes the bis- he takes the biscuit. He uh, he charges men hundreds of dollars to pimp their game uh, with tutorials that promise to make girls beg to sleep with you after short circuiting their emotional and logical mind into a million reasons why they should. Uh, in other words, uh, he teaches uh, men how to trick, manipulate, and emotionally abuse women into having sex with them. And, I mean, th- there's videos of him on, on the web. You shouldn't watch them, but there's v- videos of him. You can read something about him. Don't give him any, uh, don't give him any YouTube hits or anything like that. Um, don't feed the lion. Yeah, where he's talking in Japan and just grabbing women. In Japan, it's really easy. Just wear, like, a, a Pikachu T-shirt. And you go go around, uh, and you don't have to speak the language or anything. You just go up to Japanese women because they're so demure and all this kind of stuff, and grab them, and uh, and grab their heads and shove them into your shove their heads into your crotch, and and shout Pikachu 
this is the kind of stuff he's, ta- he's saying. He's got a more uh, evolved, but it's all manipulative and extremely manipulative and abusive, and it encourages the use of, uh, of you know, actual violence, you know, actual physical physical coercion uh, against what he defines as, you know, the most vulnerable women. And um, and he's laughing about it and joking about it, and apparently guys are lapping it up. But the thing is, he was, uh, there's a campaign now to have him, he has been, his visa, he's not allowed into Australia, and he's not allowed into Brazil because of this, because of the attention it's getting. And he's, uh, there's, a, there's a petition that I just signed earlier on um, to not allow him into the UK. Of course, the UK are probably open, welcome them with open arms. Um, <laughs> but um, I, was, I was actually having a uh, discussion, if you can call it that, on the Telegraph, UK Telegraph, on an article written about this guy where the question was put up, do we have the right to infringe his freedom of speech uh, by, 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 by preventing him from entering the country? Does he have the right to breathe? That's my question. Well, that's the question. You know, and there's this guy you know, who's arguing with me about... Uh, about freedom of speech, and somebody posted this uh, this quote. You know, I may not agree, or I don't agree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. And people pull that out very often, you know. And it's a ridiculous concept, you know, because I just I challenge the person who, who wrote it to to follow it to its logical conclusion. In fact, just take this that you're actually posting this this quote uh, in response to uh, this guy. So what you're saying is that you personally because I'm asking because you've said it, so you defend this person to the death, uh, defend his right to do what he's doing because that's the topic of the of the article and that's what you're commenting on. So you're saying you would go out publicly, stand up in a box and or do whatever is necessary, go to court, spend as much time as necessary to defend this guy's right to effectively, effectively promote up to and including rape of women. And you would qualify it at the end by saying but I don't agree with him. So here's the question. If after spending however many hours or days or weeks defending this guy's right through the courts, whatever you, know, whatever you can imagine might be necessary that we'd have to do to defend to the death this guy's right to come into the country and have these seminars and tell people how this kind of, to, to engage in this kind of uh, approach, this essentially hate speech uh, or, or uh, abuse and victimization of women, after spending all that time doing that and defending that uh, publicly, and then at the end saying, you know, but, okay, so we won, so he's allowed in, but, and I'm, I'm partially responsible for it, but I don't agree with what he's doing. What do you think your peers, the members of the public, would think about your attitude towards it, on balance, given that you had invested so much energy in defending his right to effectively uh, emotionally and sexually abuse women? Do you think your comment at the end that, but I don't agree with him? would balance out all of the effort you'd made to allow him to come into the country and actually spread his message of hate? Uh, you know, I mean, that's the question. Answer that question. Or would you be willing to do it? If not, shut up and stop posting that quote. Because if you're not willing to do it, sure, that quote applies in certain circumstances, but not in circumstances where, where there are people uh, who, are, who are disseminating or encouraging fundamentally destructive attitudes within society. Any responsible society, including the citizenry and the government or whatever, has a responsibility to protect the kind of moral integrity on, on a fairly black and white moral basis, which is that abusing people, you know, uh, well, I mean, you can extend it to murder or whatever, you know, or, or any kind of do what they will, should be the whole of the law. Mm. You know, I mean, 
there has to be a line where yeah. somebody says you're not allowed to do certain things. That's why we have a moral code. Did you so reply? The, uh, no, that person didn't reply. Oh. They didn't want to take me up on the, offer, on the challenge. I just wanted them to go ahead and do what they were saying they should do because you can't throw out a comment like that and say, I will defend your right to, to say whatever you want. Because the point is, people getting up with that in, in our modern society with a guy like that and the culture, the, 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 the nature of the culture in which we live, which is a hypersexualized culture, which is very demeaning of women, to allow someone like that in to throw add fuel to the fire is not a good thing for society. It's not a good thing for, the, for that to be available. There are certain things that are, it is not good at a certain time in the evolution or devolution of a society. It's not good to throw fuel on a fire on a downward spiral. On yeah. a society that's on a downward spiral, it's not good to encourage it down further into the depths. I'm not saying... At, at other times, you know, free speech, whatever anybody wants to say, shouldn't be allowed, no matter what. But in a certain situation where people have been made vulnerable, essentially, and have been corrupted, it's not good to add to it. And someone should draw a line. So there's no single overarching kind of uh, rule that should apply to society at any time throughout the ages. But you look at each specific situation and the nature of the culture and the state of the culture, the state of society at a particular time, and you make decisions that on that basis which direction are we headed here? Are we headed up or are we headed down? If we're headed down, speed the descent. Well, this is where liberalism... This guy, this guy, the guy who was arguing with me had, was called Libertarius. Libertarian. Bingo. <laughs> this, is, this is the essence of the libertarian argument, which is particularly strong in the US. Freedom, freedom of speech, no matter what. Yeah. Okay. In a world where everyone is informed of psychopathy and knows methods of same and therefore has the means to defend themselves against someone's predations and can see it coming a mile off and no one is hurt mm -hmm. as a consequence, then yes, let him say his stupid thing because yeah. he'll immediately realize the consequences of being completely excommunicated by everyone he knows. Mm -hmm. We don't live in that world. No. Yeah, exactly. So freedom of speech, no matter what, yeah, it doesn't... It, 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 it's leading to this very situation where you've got mass suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, here's, here's some freedom of speech on behalf of a U.S. toy company, which got pulled up in the news this week because their evil stick wand toy for toddlers aged two to three. Um, a mother bought this toy for her daughter. It looked like a plastic pink wand that has a star on the top and it's sort of shiny and glittery because it has a foil embedded in the head in the star shape part of the top. And, you know, the kid's just encouraged to wave the stick and it, it produces a music sound and if they, they can call on magic and fairies and, you know, it's all very innocent until a curious three-year-old pull back the foil on this magic wand to reveal underneath a photo of a girl slitting her wrist with a knife. Available from Dollar Store in the US, it also then changes to a cackling laugh and flashing strobe lights. I mean, <laughs> what in the hell were people thinking when they made that? But it's mass-produced, it's available, and it's marketed to two- and three-year-olds. Two- and three-year-olds, yeah. Well, that's a dereliction of, of responsibility on any parent who would allow their child to do that, you know? And that's where we get the idea of I mean, you can't, uh, you can't, um, I mean, the analogy of good government towards the population is like a parent to a child. 
you know? one that steps in. I mean, it's not just uh, the whole freedom of speech thing. Isn't just about freedom of speech. It's about it's about someone who is speaking and espousing something that very clearly has the potential or will result in people adopting a certain attitude and doing certain things. So, you know, thought, speech, as in thought, you know, thoughts lead to action, speech in certain circumstances, depending on the person, can lead to the direct influence on other people and the changing of their behavior. So it's not just about, I get to say whatever I want and it doesn't hurt anybody. If what you say has the potential to hurt other people, you shouldn't be allowed to do it. Because it's, it's the same. I mean, if it's the responsibility of a parent to a child, a child should not be allowed to something slash do something that will hurt itself or other children. What parent would disagree with that? Well, if you take the, the idea of good government being like a parent to a child, then, or laws or whatever, you know, governing the, the, the rights and wrongs in society, there has to be, you know, strictures. Well, in that sense, I would start by censoring most politicians. Yeah. I mean, what they say has the potential of hurting hundreds, millions of people every time they open their mouth. So, mm. I mean, I don't care. I don't mind people saying anything, whatever they want to say. They can rant on and espouse, you know, they can go the full kind of uh, Alistair Crowley, whatever, whoever you want to think of, you know, uh, as long as, like you just said, people who are, there's nobody vulnerable who's going to be, you know, uh, influenced by it and also society at large, you know, um, yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, there, there can't be. Uh, there's a lot of power today, you know, in, in terms of people have a lot of because people seem to be very impressionable or something. Maybe because they're kind of like empty vessels or something, you know. No more so than today. Most people are empty vessels. They're just like you know, turn on the TV and, and just absorb things and, and get their opinions and their views from somewhere else. And those opinions and views then form into action, thoughts and actions, and uh, and it's not good. You know, if it's negative, if it's a negative message, it's not good because it does directly affect the people uh, in their actions. And that then, if enough people adopt those kind of uh, attitudes and, and, and actions, then it's going to lead to the destruction of society. And if you don't want society to, to be destroyed, then you should stop that. I, on the other hand, think society should be destroyed. So I would think all these people should be allowed to say and do whatever they want. In concluding this, British ISIS fighters call for assassination of key UK figures. Do we want to stop him from saying that? Who said that? A, a British jihadi. Jihadi. A jihadi baddie. Assassinate key... He calls for the assassination of key UK figures, i.e. British politicians. Yeah, absolutely. Except he, that's just bullshit because he's been put yes, up, put up to, to do that. He's been put up to say that to scare the British public into yeah. giving more allegiance to their British, uh, key Britishers. And so they are empowered by people saying that. And in a twisted way, it taps into the sentiment people have when they hear about like the, the pedophile scandal. I mean, they want to kill someone. Yeah. Well, not, maybe not literally, but they someone, do want blood. Someone. They want heads to roll. Somebody's got to get the, you know, Somebody's got to be the scapegoat for this, at least. Mm -hmm. And they've got this ultimate bogeyman who's saying the very he's, he's tapping into the expression that the 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 feeling that people have towards their government. But it comes from the one guy who was paid to say it. Who's who basically paid to say it 
on behalf of those same psychopaths in power. Yeah. It's I mean, such a mind uh, It's just, it's gone beyond the point where the whole Al-Qaeda, does anybody remember Al-Qaeda and 9-11? Bring back Al-Qaeda and 9-11, will you? Because that was easy. You know, but, and they actually tried, they were supposedly fighting Al-Qaeda because of 9-11 and everybody was, yay, 9-11, let's get Al-Qaeda. But then they went and killed Osama, you know, 10 years after he died and threw him in and, and made him swim with the fishes. Uh, and, and now we've got ISIS and ISIL and they just don't care anymore. They think the job's done. This is the, the Western, uh, you know, think tankers and, uh, and generals and uh, strategy makers and stuff. They don't care anymore. Uh, or certainly they don't care enough to, to really try and cover it up because, I mean, everybody knows that, or everybody is very compli- Everybody is very confused about what's going on in Syria and Iraq and who ISIL is and who the Free Syrian Army is and, and uh, should we be funding them and are we funding them? And But generally speaking, they're all terrorists, right? I mean, there's a bunch of terrorists that are all killing each other and stuff. But Turkey and the U.S. plan to train 2,000 militants fighting the Syrian government. This is just released recently that um, both of them have agreed, the U.S. and Turkey have agreed to train 2,000 militants fighting against the government of Syrian uh, president. Uh, they're going to train them in Turkey, 150 kilometers south of Ankara. Uh, and both British, both Turkish and American personnel are going to undertake the training program, which starts in late December, just in time for Muslim Christmas. Christmas special. So, but it is, but, but it is simpler now. Those are terrorists. They're mercenaries. Exactly. Why does not even admit the fact that they're mercenaries? Why don't they admit? I mean, I hope some, not that they'll admit it, but come out. People are going to get to get to the point where they understand, hopefully, that the U.S. government simply uses mercenaries, like proxy armies, like generals and leaders of countries have done for thousands of years. You know, it's too much hassle to send your own troops far, far away, let's just send a few of ours over there with a bunch of money and weapons and get a bunch of guys who are interested in money and weapons to do stuff that some, we want them to do. Some of them have come there and they have spoken out. Yeah. But the problem is you're not going to hear about it. No. They do get to speak to local Arabic media and they lay the whole thing out in the line. You know, I joined and I thought it was this... Uh, U.S. weapons training money. I realized the whole thing was completely organized by Western intelligence. Here are some names, places, dates. But the problem is that this, it doesn't get out. It, people don't get to hear that. No. Of course not. No, they're not going to hear it because they're not supposed to hear it. Because the media is massively controlled. Like, uh <laughs> David, I, I kind of reeled against uh, the idea, his, his suggestion in the uh, in a little sad article I wrote. I wrote uh, recently, just on the on the G20 in Putin, where, where uh, David Cameron talked about the extolled the virtues of the, the great British um, British media. He said, "Our free press, our free and fearless press, shines a light wherever it is needed, without fear or favour." <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, there's just so many examples of how that's totally wrong. And the problem is the vast majority of people know that that's totally wrong, you know. But he just says it anyway. He comes out and peddles this bullshit about, you know, how we're so righteous and, you know, butter wouldn't melt in our mouths and our press is free and, 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 and fearless governments have no control over the courts and the courts just always just give the right judgment. We are just 
such a shining example of everything that's good and fun and super and lovely. That's kind of the impression. That's that's the way his speeches go, you know, and it's just so ridiculous. It's so, it flies so much in the face of, of reality because previously when people would say stuff like that, you'd have to tease out. They wouldn't be so... Uh, ebullient about uh, you know about how wonderful they are you know they'd be more cagey or more uh, more controlled about you know tooting their own horn um, and and you'd have to there weren't in years gone by there weren't so many examples of how what they were saying was wrong and how they were, uh, examples of the, of the fact that they were lying but now with the increase in the amount of uh, evidence that Western leaders are massively corrupt and a bunch of inveterate liars. Uh, they seem to be, those same leaders seem to be increasing their rhetoric about how uncorrupt they are. Yeah, it's the only thing they know how to yeah, deal so, with it. So it gets worse, you know, they talk, talk themselves up more and more as the evidence piles up yeah. ab- over about their corruption. They talk more and more and more and more flowery, you know, terms about how wonderful they are, and the division becomes greater and greater. And I hopefully, we hope, hopefully, well, the division comes, it does become greater and greater. But hopefully, it becomes more and more visible to ordinary people. Then there was another one. Obama also scolded the uh, uh, somebody in China, or well, the Chinese government, and said that he hopes that China will start respecting human rights and freedom of the press, just like the U.S. is an example. Yeah. Uh, we... Yeah. They'll, maybe they'll go too far. It was just uh, some, uh, some, I, hope, I just wish they'd get on with it. I think a, a little take-home data point that you can rely on about the Syrian revolution. Okay, the U.S. is using proxy armies in Syria to try and overthrow Assad, who is a democratically elected president of uh, of Syria. A little data point you can take home and take to the bank is that the last year, 2013, UN report listed 20 uh, armed groups from 29 different countries fighting against the Syrian army. The UN report, 29 different groups. Now, how anybody can construe the Syrian revolution, quote unquote, as a grassroots uprising against their brutal dictator of a of a of president when there are people armed groups, the people actually leading the revolution because they've got weapons, are from 29 different countries. Is that representative of the Syrian people? I think not. But, but Ergo, Joe, these are mercenaries. But Joe, they love democracy so much that they're prepared to go halfway around the world to to install a, to install a, a, fundam- democracy. a fundamental uh, Wait a minute, a fundamentalist no. uh, they Islamic, hate democracy is, a fundamentalist they hate Islamic state yeah yeah um yeah just back on the on the, the west shooting itself over sanctions against Russia uh just today one of the one of France's biggest union federations um called workers force that's the translation, Workers' Force, has urged the government to fulfill the Mistral deal and deliver the two warships to Russia. These are the two warships that France had uh, entered into an agreement with, with Russia, to build the hulls of uh, two modern kind of warships in France and give them to Russia. Russia paid for them up front, 
uh, at least for, for one of them up front, and the French reneged on, on the deal earlier this year, put it on hold because Putin's acting like a dictator in Ukraine and blah, 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 and he has to stop. This is trying, sanctions essentially to try and stop him doing this. <clears throat> but now the union that represents the workers on these ships <clears throat> has expressed shock and outrage that uh, that the Holland government has postponed the delivery of the, is continuing to postpone the delivery of these uh, uh, Mistral carriers, mainly to pressure from the US and the EU in general. And the problem here is that there are 2,500 French workers involved or implicated in the, working on, on, the, on this deal and implicated in Russia, making sure that Russia pays for them. And Russia isn't going to pay for them if France won't give them to them. And the, effectively, these people, 2,500 jobs at this shipyard are in danger because of Holland's or Holland's hubris and his lackiness, if I can coin that phrase, term, word, to the dictates of the nut jobs in the US and the EU. And on top of that, I think Russia's not um, forced to re- refund the entire deal. If if France delays, keeps delaying or refuses to send them, they're going to take a big chunk off. So France is losing money by refusing, mm-hmm. losing those jobs. I mean, it's just insane. It's insanity all, all the way around. Um, yeah. It is amazing that the the bind that all these leaders of different Western countries are held in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, we, we joke that it's like a cyborg mind, you know, that it's actually one mind shared by all these different people. But yeah, the Borg Collective. It, how else can you explain it, you know? Saying the same things right on cue. I mean, the only other alternative is they all get the same memo from some guy in a super dark mm. no. room somewhere but the logistics of that are impossible because they do it simultaneously and across different events and time yeah, zones. I mean there can be manipulation tweaks here and there by the by the NSA and the CIA and stuff you know spying on people blackmailing people as Putin referred to in the EU and in different countries but by and large most of them realize that they know what side their bread's buttered on type of thing they know that ultimately they're part of the elite they get the money, they steal money from people and from other countries, and they enrich themselves and they're, they're an ascendant. And uh, it really is, uh, when it comes down to it, us versus them, you know? I mean, they understand that implicitly, that, it's, that they are of a different class and that uh, they can find no common ground uh, with the ordinary people, with the, with the suffering of the ordinary people or of the, the needs of the ordinary people. So they'll always side with their, with their own kind, essentially. But uh, a couple of kind of funny stories. <laughs> Scotland, uh, you know, there's a whole thing about the UK seceding from or, or leaving the EU. Um, they say there's 50-50 chance that the UK might, in, in the next few years, leave the EU. And the Scottish, uh, the SNP, which is the, the major Scottish national party in Scotland, uh, there's a new leader after uh, after Alex Salmond left um Nicola Sturgeon, she has she's following his footsteps, which is good to see. She said that if the e if the UK leaves the EU, then there will immediately be another referendum in Scotland. 
uh, because she, they didn't say this, but you can imagine <laughs> the sound of it is, you know, Jesus Christ, we are not being left stranded here on this island with that bunch of nut jobs down in England. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, at least our at least our link with the EU is is kind of uh, gives us a sense of uh, comfort, you know, that we're not alone. But if you were to cut us off and leave us in this little island with that bunch of fucking freaks down in <laughs> <laughs> down in down in England, we would like we had uh, whatever we have to do, we'd just get a big get a big angle grinder out and cut the thing off and float off up to up to Norway or something because I think the the EU without London could actually become the independent EU it was supposed to be when it was thought out back in the 50s mm-hmm. could be be a better chance the whole that. thing of the UK kind of being an in the EU project that's because of this balance of power attitude mm-hmm. we're outside it but we're in it but we're in it only to keep tabs on it so that it did not become independent of the United States. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, by all means, go away. The feds, you know, the the FBI and all other of forty other agencies of Homeland Security, essentially in the in the U.S., have just gone. You know, lost the plot basically because. Um, their infiltration of protests of groups of any stripe that in any way could be construed to be a threat to national security. Like, so anybody, you know, from, from, you know, anonymous or whatever you want to call it to uh, somebody growing their own uh, organic vegetables in the garden all the way down, they're all under suspicion. You know, it's just a massive security uh, surveillance state in the US to the point that there's so many infiltrators and uh, government agents infiltrating these groups that um, <laughs> that they, they end up uh, spying on each other <laughs> unknowing you know so and, and in certain cases they've actually uh, they, they try to arrest each other <laughs> and they've reported uh, reported they've been reporting on each other all the time that this guy in this group is really because you know he's really rabble rousing. He he's a radical. Him, this guy <laughs> and that guy saying the same thing about the other guy or another guy in another group, and it's this massive web of intrigue. <laughs> and half of it is all Fed spying on each other. And even I think there was even at least one case, but you don't hear about most of them. But at least one case that was is known about where, where two of them pulled guns on each other, and then found out that they were working for separate agencies designed to infiltrate the group that they were pretending to be a part of. <laughs> Like, hey, I got this guy. He works for a naval corporation. He's, he's, you know, he's really. What's the name of the corporation? Um, yeah. FBI. Exactly. Yeah, he's working for the FBI. What is that? <laughs> uh, yeah. There was also, uh, well, maybe we should turn to the weather a little bit. Although there was one thing. Uh, there's an article by um, a very good article, and I think we haven't saw it um, by a guy writing in Salon. Uh, Patrick L. Smith, uh, yeah. the title is what, are, what Really Happened in Beijing, Putin, Obama, Z, and the Backstory, the media won't tell you. It's a really good rundown of just uh, the kind of whole, you know, the, the sanctions and what's really going on between Russia and China and how the U.S. is totally screwed. Uh, ultimately, like we've been saying, and that it's shooting itself in the foot and it's going down ultimately, basically. But he, at the end of the article, he writes, um, he, he quotes... Uh, a guy, a Chinese guy, who said he's a Chinese scholar turned diplomat who then turned to be a scholar again. So somebody who was a Chinese diplomat and then became a scholar uh, who was at a, a dinner in Beijing recently and he he was speaking to another guy about uh, Ukraine and this Chinese diplomat said that from our perspective, 
we see all of this agitation as noise at the surface. And then he cited the scene from Macbeth at Dunsinane Castle uh, and quoted Macbeth by saying, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard before. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Still waters running deep. And so he's saying that, yeah, well, obviously that's a very perspicacious view of the situation, or a true view of the situation that the whole Ukraine thing is, as it said, agitation and noise at the surface, which that is ultimately meaningless. And there's obviously an agenda behind it. And obviously the agenda is for the Anglo-American Empire to try and thwart the resurgence or um, coming to power, essentially, of uh, Eurasia, dominated by China and Russia. And um, that's what's really going on, and all of the maneuvers are pointed in that direction. And there's all sorts of dirty, dirty deals, dirty tricks, uh, duplicitous strategies uh, ongoing to try and achieve that ridiculous, irrational aim. Yeah. Um, Smith said um, some really interesting things there. He also concluded, as we were saying, the U.S. cannot accept its passing, so the passing of the American century. Mm. Logically enough, the task becomes essentially destructive of the world, an effort in the end to destroy history itself. I mean, that's the essence of a pathocracy, like a black hole. Mm-hmm. It, there's no hope for it being mm-hmm. balanced out, for it being tampered down, for it adjusting into the new structure. Yeah. It, it must consume itself. It eats itself. It yeah. eats itself. eats itself alive, yeah. Um, there's been crazy stuff going on weather-wise, um, major flooding ongoing right now, but major flooding in Italy. People have been killed in Italy uh, and in France uh, through major, major deluges over the past week, and it's uh, continuing on, and it's predicted (laughs) to continue on through November, and at this stage, they're saying all of the winter, they're predicting extremely wet uh, winter for many parts of Europe, which means massive rainfall, which means massive flooding in the streets, uh, and, you know, danger to life, essentially. Um, of course, there's always a possibility that it could turn into snow and you'd have, instead of 16 inches of rain, you could have 16 inches of snow, 16 feet of snow, sorry. But, uh, yeah, the flooding in the south, is, south of France is, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> we're on the right side of France because over there it's just been like a constant stream. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're going to have to start measuring Rainfall in meters. Mm-hmm. Five people were killed today mm-hmm. in one town. In France, yeah. And there's been heavy, heavy, super heavy electrical storms in uh, Spain as well. Mm-hmm. And floods in other countries, not just in Europe. Huh? The same week, Colombia, dead people too, um, Venezuela. So it's kind of like a massive just water pouring all over. And the cold, the cold wave in the U.S. Now, that I thought that was kind of funny because um, there's articles saying how, you know, first it started in Siberia and the cold, is, the snow is covering Siberia. So next thing they're going to say is that Russia invaded 
the U.S. with snow. I mean, that's... Yep. That, Russia sent the polar vortex uh, yeah, to... Just, to that is what happened, though. It is, yeah. yeah. At some it level, is. Russia... So it's kind invaded. of symbolic that... <laughs> and they know. call it... Well, they call it the bearing bomb. Just, yeah. <laughs> put, the situation the being... <laughs> no, I don't... I think that was unconscious, but... No, it, what do you mean? Putin didn't do it constantly. No, the, the naming of it as the bearing bomb, yeah. that it came over there from those Ruskies. Yeah, it came over from the Kam- Kam- Kamchatka Peninsula, the Bering Straits. But, um, so when you see the snow falling, uh, just uh, think the Russians are coming. Yeah. Uh, and we can see, you can see, uh, <laughs> oh. you can see them going down. It's, it's actually, it's comical in a certain sense that, you know, it's, it's, we're not far from the point where U.S., Empire builder, nut jobs would blame Russia for weather yeah, weather anomalies. You know, I mean, they would gain traction with some kind of a weather engineering to try and they've laid the ground as well, feeding all these conspiracy theories online. Yeah, about all all and all of these changes being due to secret warfare, chemical chemical weapons slash weather modification programs, geoengineering. Yeah. I mean, we constantly get emails. Oh my god. From people trying to convert SOT to hello, all of this is being done by the secret government, and we're constantly saying back to them, it's physically impossible for all of these anomalous weather to be done by anyone. For sure, they experiment on all kinds of things. Yeah, but you're looking at a global system change, and it's happening on other planets on the solar system. So, how do you explain that? Yeah, um, I just had a, an image of. I don't know if anybody ever seen the movie um, Cape Fear with Robert De Niro. Uh, he plays a good. I know of it. He plays a good psycho, okay. and it, you know he's like a kind of just a deranged kind of psycho. It's a scary movie, you know. But um, I just had an image of the, there's a, the final image in that movie, more or less, is. Where there's, you know, it moves on to a boat and he's after this family basically and he's attempting to kind of like, um, you know, get the, get the girl, the daughter and, uh, and he ties up the family and all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. But they're on a boat at the end. They try to escape onto a boat and get away from it, get away from him. He's been stalking them and stuff and they get onto their boat and they're on a, they're on a lake and, um, and there's a big fight scene and all that kind of stuff. But the end scene more or less is where he's trapped on the boat you know, injured or whatever, and he's hanging on to the mast, and they're all in the water, or they're on dry land, they've escaped basically, and the boat has been sunk, and it, the boat's sinking, you know, and he's, uh, he's he's babbling, you know, he's got to the point where he's basically babbling, he's speaking in tongues, you know, as as he just kind of uh, goes down, you know, and there's a scene where he just goes down, and his face goes down below the water, and he's still babbling away, you know, I just thought that was a fitting image for what's actually going to happen to to the, the warmongers and the this planet, you know, or even, you know, the the ship of state, the American ship of state, let's say, along with the others, are going to be sinking between the waves, and they'll have their and, and their, you know, the the elite will be maybe not babbling or speaking in tongues, maybe they'll just be blaming Putin all the way as they <laughs> as they sink between the waves. Putin it was Putin it. in China. Putin, Putin in China did it. Oh, that'd be nice. I think. I think it'll be more like just silence because as soon as you have a critical systems failure, one of the first things to go will be the media. 
so their voice will just there's just to be the sound of silence mm. reminds me of a song anyway I think we'll leave it there for this week folks unless we have any other pressing matters to discuss um, thanks to our our listeners and to our chatters hope you all enjoyed the show um, we and also to our Google Hangouters there's been a few of them there uh, we'll maybe have a chat with them after we end the show here but um we're going to end the Blog Talk Radio show for this week, so we'll be back next week with another show uh, on a similar topic, maybe. But anyway, bringing you all the, all the news that's fit to print and then all the rest of it. <laughs> so until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.